morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, appreciate you braving the weather to be here this morning. Um, so we have been in a series in Genesis, but we're taking a seven-week break. I think it's going to be seven weeks. Um, at least that's the plan at this point to talk about what it means to be a disciple. So the title of the series is Come, Follow Me. Um, so we'll, Lord willing, be heading back into Genesis after this. But for January and February, we're going to be focused on discipleship. So where are we headed as a church in 2019? Um, I think it's a fair question. Where should we be headed in 2019, in this new year? So our church is in the midst of some evaluation. We've got to do some evaluation on the building front um, as we seek to discern the best stewardship plan for our facilities. Um, we're also kind of in process evaluating ministries so that we can be doing the most important things and doing them as well as we can. Um, but in the midst of that evaluation, that doesn't mean that we just kind of put everything on hold and we're in like this holding pattern until we figure it all out. No. I mean, even though there are certainly things we need to figure out, the direction we need to head is actually still clear. Okay? We need to follow Jesus in 2019. <laughs> so, I don't know, any amens to that? Um, hope I'm not alone in that. I don't think I am. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and run the race that's set before us. We need to tune our ears to Jesus, to listen and follow our good shepherd. Um, we need to follow Jesus. So we're taking this break. Come follow me. We're going to look at um, that theme from a bunch of different angles. But this morning, we want to just figure out what does it mean to be a disciple? What is discipleship? Let's not assume that we know what that means, because the term is actually thrown around quite a bit. If you ask around in the church, maybe not just in our church, but other even church leaders, you might get a variety of answers. So what does this mean? What are we actually doing um, when we follow Jesus as his disciples? So what do you think of when you hear the word discipleship? I mean, what comes to mind? Do you think of a program or a process by which believers are, you know, made more mature in their faith? You know, you hear things or maybe even said things like this. You know, such and such a church or such and such a ministry, they're focused on evangelism and not so much on discipleship or vice versa, right? Or maybe you hear something or said something like this. Yes, he's a Christian, but he's never really been discipled. So you might think of it as a program or a process to take new believers, you know, so that they get grounded in their faith, something like that. Or is discipleship evangelism? Like, is it the same thing? We're supposed to, remember the Great Commission, we're supposed to go and make disciples of all the nations. So does that mean that discipleship is just evangelism? Another word for that. So is discipleship more about maturing Christians than making Christians, or is it more about making Christians than maturing them? Or perhaps you're wondering if this is a false dichotomy. <laughs> and if you are, 
you're on to something. So the last couple weeks, I've spent some time just looking at all the uses of the term disciple as a noun or as a verb, as well as the language of following. Let's get our answers on these questions from the Bible, right? So what emerged from that study is that there are two primary characteristics of a disciple. A disciple is a learner, and a disciple is a follower. And if we were to kind of look up from there, we see that Jesus is a teacher, and Jesus is our master. He's our Lord, right? So it's not just that these are like, well, there's this, and then there's this. They're related, right? The one thing is for the other. So I remember there was a, was it Alistair Begg? I, I don't know. It's like a well-known preacher on sermons were on the radio, where the learning is for the living. And that means not the opposite of dead people, but where the learning is for living, I think is how it went. So that gets it right, right? We listen to, we learn from Jesus in order to follow Jesus, in order to live like Jesus. So being a disciple involves looking to Jesus, sitting at his feet as his students, and being a disciple involves living like Jesus, following him in his footsteps. Okay, so a disciple is a learner and a disciple is a follower. And we're going to look at each of those in turn this morning. But as we do, make sure you personalize this. We all need to personalize this. Okay? Ask yourself, do I think of myself as a disciple of Jesus? And I don't mean... You know, if I were to come up and say, hey, are you a disciple of Jesus? You say, sure. What I mean is, is disciple of Jesus at the center of who you are? So do you walk through an average week wanting to be faithful to follow Jesus? Like, do you think in those terms regularly? Are you regularly thinking and praying and deciding and acting because you want to follow Jesus wherever he leads you? So very functionally, practically central is what I'm asking. So if not, then we need to know what is true of us so that we can become who we are. If that's not the case, we want it to be the case, right? We want to be self-consciously focused on following Jesus if we're claiming to be Christians. That claim ought to work itself out in reality. We need to get our identity right. We need to get our actions in line with our identity because how we live flows out of who we are, okay? So we need to learn that we might Live. So here we go, one at a time. A disciple first is a learner. So normally we go through a section of Scripture. We usually go book by book. But this morning it's definitely going to be a little different. So this is good. It's cold outside. It'll keep you warm. You keep your fingers going so you'll have to flip. Or actually most of these passages are going to be on the screen. But, um, you know, just follow along as we hit these passages so that we can see what the Bible says about discipleship. All right, so a disciple is a learner. Um, one of the reasons we know this is because Jesus 
is described as a teacher, the teacher. So look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. should be up there with some emphases that I've added, some bold face um, so that you can see the focus. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So your teacher, his disciples, in the same passage, or just a chapter or so later, look at Matthew 10, 24. A disciple is a not above his, what would you expect? Nor a servant above his master. So a servant to a master, servant is to a master what a disciple is to teacher. Okay, so that's really telling, right? A disciple is a learner. This verse certainly implies that. Okay, even Matthew 11, um, just another chapter later, passage many of us are, are very familiar with, and it's really sweet to us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then it's take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So my, dis- my disciples come to me and learn from me. I'm the teacher, you're the student, you're the learner. So Jesus contrasts his easy yoke and his light burden later on with the heavy burden of the Pharisees and the scribes, the other teachers. He says this um, about the scribes and Pharisees. They tie up heavy burdens. This is uh, Matthew 23. Hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus isn't like that. That's not the kind of teacher he is. It's not the kind of master he is. He actually says, I'm going to yoke you to me so that in my strength we can plow this field. Okay? Um, So, point is clear. Jesus is the teacher, and we, if we are his disciples, we are his students, his pupils, his learners. So we're all going to listen to someone, right? You notice that about yourself. You notice that about the world around you, everybody around you. We're going to have our ears tuned to someone. And there are so many voices in our world today, aren't there? It's like crazy information overload. You've got life coaches and experts and gurus and specialists at every turn. So much advice. Article after article after article with three keys to this and five ways to that and seven, you know, like it's just everywhere. In order to achieve the perfect this or the perfect that or finally do this or finally do that. You know how many TED Talks? I mean, everybody know what a TED Talk is? Nobody knows what Oh, okay. So this is like the arm goes up if you know what a TED Talk is. There we go. Okay. Sorry, I wasn't clear about that. Um, So there's like over 2,900 TED Talks. All kinds of, you know, insight in those things, right? Guess how many TEDx talks, kind of the more localized version. You know how many of those there are now? Over 125,000 of them. Like, fear of missing out. Oh, I need to, like, all the, all the wisdom you're missing out on. I don't know. I, sometimes I feel like I can't catch up with all the information that's coming at me. Do you know how many podcasts are in existence right now? Anybody podcast? I do. 630,000. So one question is, 
is all of that crowding out the most important voice that you and I need to be listening to? Do you remember the whole Mary Martha incident? Chad, if you want to put up Luke 10. So now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So there's lots of good voices out there, but... There's one voice we can't neglect. There's one voice we really need to tune into and listen attentively to. Because if we're disciples, we are, this is who we are, we're learners. And Jesus is not just a teacher, he is the teacher, right? So this has got implications for us. It's got implications for us corporately as a body and personally as disciples. So a group of disciples, the church, individual disciples. It's one of the reasons why we do this and spend this time, you know, whether it's in Sunday school or in the sermon, learning the Bible, learning the Christian life. It's an integral part of our Sunday mornings because we're learners. It's vital to our discipleship as we seek to follow Jesus. But Sundays are only one day of the week, right? So our ears ought to be tuned to the teacher the rest of the week. So do you have a plan, brothers and sisters, fellow disciples, do you have a plan to sit at Jesus' feet each day, each week? So are you proactively seeking him and studying his words and ways and learning from him? So if you don't have a plan, it's a great day to get one. And there are lots of good plans out there. If you want some help, I can certainly point you to some. Um, you could even just get a little bookmark with all the books of the Bible and say, I'm going to start here. And I'm going to read it over and over again until I just really get a lot out of it. And then I'll move on to another book. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be complicated. I've got to read in eight different places, you know, every day and check off all the boxes. No, just... You're coming to Jesus. You're coming to God's Word to learn from Him as His student. So, it's also why we're pushing the fighter verses. You know, meditating on God's Word is a way to tune our ears to God's voice multiple times through the day. So, this isn't just memorization to check off the box to, you know, check the X or put another notch in our Bible memory belt. No, this is so that we can meditate on it, be thinking about it when we're standing in line or driving in the car. And when temptation comes or suffering comes, we have God's voice to call to mind and counsel and comfort and guide us as we continue to walk with and follow Jesus. So discipleship is not a course that you take when you first become a Christian and then you graduate and move on to deeper things. Okay, this also isn't a school where you take breaks, you know, like for summer. 
Oh, I'm off for the summer, you know, from listening to Jesus. Discipleship is all about lifetime learning. So what is your continuing education plan with Jesus? And again, I encourage you to get practical because I know for me, if I don't have a plan, I'm going to spin my wheels in the morning. It's just really easy, right? But if you have a plan, you know where you're going, then you can really dig in and listen each day or evening or afternoon or whenever you do it um, to Jesus. So to be a disciple is to be a learner. But all of this learning is not an end in itself, right? It's not mere information gathering. Filling up your mind is not the end goal. The learning is for living. So if we are disciples of Jesus, he intends for us to put his words into practice, okay? Applying what we learn, especially, um, yeah, responding to what we have learned. That's not optional with Jesus. It's expected, okay? Which leads us to our second point. A disciple is a follower, okay? So discipleship involves response. If you're not following, then you're not a disciple. So this is, this is the norm from the very get-go with Jesus' ministry. So let me just run us through a few verses here. We can see what the normal response to Jesus was in the Gospels. Look first at uh, Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boats with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So you see, following Jesus when he calls is the norm for his disciples, which means we've got to be willing to count the cost because sometimes we have to leave things behind if we're going to follow Jesus wherever he leads. So a few chapters later in Matthew 8, verses 18 to 23, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, and a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, I'm homeless. You still want to come? Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Which could sound kind of harsh, but most likely what's going on there is, can I wait until my dad dies? I'll come later. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Okay, so the point is that following Jesus involves actually following him. Remember the Great Commission, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. So imagine me in a conversation with somebody, you know, let's say um, we're talking about music, we're talking about instruments, we're talking about the guitar, okay? And I ask this person, you know, if 
you know, find out they've got all this love for the guitar. Oh, wow, that's great. You know, hey, did you see the, the slide? We're looking for additional folks to help out with our worship team, you know? So, and then they respond, oh, I know how to play the guitar, but I've never played the guitar. What, what are you talking about? Well, I've watched like hundreds of hours of YouTube videos on how to play the guitar, so I know how to play the guitar. I even took this master class in classical guitar online, but then I find out that he's never actually practiced on a real guitar, never actually played the guitar. I said, that's crazy. Or think of sports. You know, there's lots of armchair quarterbacks out there, right? You know, especially this weekend, probably. So, you know, imagine this dad saying to his son, let me teach you how to play football, son. You know, let me teach you how to throw and catch. And, you know, you hold it like this, and he's sitting in his lazy boy, and, you know, you have to lead the receiver like this, and he pontificates or whatever, and the son says, okay, can we go outside and try it? Like, can we practice? Oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm more of a teacher, you know. I, I don't... How am I going to learn if you don't show me? Like, I, I want to do this and practice. Or cooking. You know, let's say you get into a conversation about cooking at work in your community group, and, you know, cooking comes up, and all the cooking show aficionados just kind of like, you know, out of the woodwork, and your favorite cooking shows, and you, you kind of land on this, di this dish that's known to be a little difficult to make, and, you know, you finally say to this one person who's been talking so much in the conversation, can you show me how to make this? And the discussion dominator says, oh, I actually don't really cook much. I've just watched every episode of Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat, and I once binge-watched every episode of The Great British Baking Show in a matter of a month. I, thank you, Google, because I have no idea on this stuff. But Okay, so if you're really going to be a disciple, you can't just gather facts about Jesus. Disciples are not just learners. They are followers. So C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves put it this way, those like myself whose imagination far exceeds their obedience easily imagine conditions far higher, higher than any we have really reached. If we describe what we have imagined, we may make others and make ourselves believe that we have really been there. Or Phillips Brooks, a uh, pastor in Boston in the 1800s, he actually wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem. He used this analogy of a train conductor who comes to believe that he's been to all the places that he announces because of how long and how frequently he said their names. That doesn't mean he knows those places or has really been there, right? So we can't impart what we don't possess. We can't give what we don't have. We must be a disciple to make a disciple. We'll talk about making disciples in future weeks. But we must follow Jesus if we're going to help anybody else follow Jesus. I mean, how can you teach someone to obey Jesus regarding lust, for instance, if you are a slave to it and not making war with it? It doesn't mean you have to be perfectly obedient. None of us are ever going to be perfectly obedient. But are you really following Jesus with this? How can we help someone live Psalm 1? 
if we are not delighting in God's Word and meditating on it day and night. So disciples are not consumers or armchair critics. Disciples are not fans in the stands. They are on the field giving blood, sweat, and tears. So if you come and follow Jesus, here's the good news, is that he takes consumers and turns them into contributors. He takes indifference and turns it into zeal. He, he can change our drifting and our wandering into running. He can take our distraction and, and give us focus. So coming to Jesus changes us, and we have an example that we begin to follow because we follow him. So John 13, again, the learning is for living Disciples are followers. John 13, 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Or 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. The learning is for the living. Or probably familiar with the book of James, you know, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So we must learn so that we can do. Don't just learn the Bible. We want to seek to live the Bible, right? So disciples don't just follow the road, the snowy road, to the church building once or twice a week. They follow Jesus wherever he leads all week. At least that's our sincere desire, right? So I was, um, my personal Bible reading, reading through Psalm, the Psalms right now, I'm Psalm 119, and just even yesterday morning, uh, it just struck me, what a portrait. So this, this is what you find when you look at the language of discipleship in the Gospels, learner, follower, and then I'm reading Psalm 119, and it just struck me what a portrait of a disciple this is. So over and over again, he's constantly saying he wants God to be his teacher, to learn his word. He's hyper-focused on the words of God. He wants to know them and he wants to learn them, but not just to be some ivory tower academic. The learning is for the living. So he's constantly praying that God would teach him so that he can walk in his way. So Psalm 119, just look at a couple of these. It's just all over the place. They are not divorced at all. Instead, they're just woven together, both the learning and the doing. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, their way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 4, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. I want to learn them. I want to live them. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I'm so prone to wander. Help me not wander. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And on and on. There's more. You can see it. Um, so 
Just like we're learners and we're going to listen to someone and we need to listen to Jesus, the teacher, the most important voice, we are also all followers and we're going to follow someone. And again, the options are endless, right? You can follow blogs and podcasts and YouTubers and news feeds and people on Instagram and Twitter. But are you following, am I following Jesus? Not as a fan, but as a faithful disciple. We're all going to follow someone. So, Prior to coming to Christ, we were all followers before we came to Christ. Remember Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We didn't even realize it, but we were, we were disciples of Satan, just going along like jellyfish with the current of this world. But then, by God's grace, he opens our eyes, can see that we're headed in the wrong direction, going headlong to hell. We hear his voice, come, follow me. Come to me, and I will save you. And then come, follow me, and learn to walk in newness of life. And so, we continue to learn. We continue to follow. We need to be on guard that we not be led astray. There's plenty of false counterfeit messiahs out there, right? So we need to forsake all others, tune our ears to the only true teacher, the only master, because he alone is the only savior. So listen, I've talked a lot about learning and obedience and following, okay? But I don't want you to misunderstand me. This doesn't mean, hey, if you're a good student and you're faithful enough to obey, then maybe you'll become a disciple of Jesus. You'll be good enough for him. Okay, This is not some moralistic message. If you're faithful enough, then you can call yourself a disciple. Nothing could be further from the truth. When we come to follow Jesus, we first come to receive. Okay, So point number three, we first come to receive. Look at Mark 2. 14 to 17. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Everybody hated the tax collectors. They were sinners. They were sellouts. And he said to him, follow me. <gasps> that would have been shocking. And Levi, Matthew, he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for, they, for there were many who followed him. Many of these sinners and tax collectors are following Jesus now. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, or at least those who think they are, think they don't need a savior. I came to call sinners to save them, to make them my disciples. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from your constant striving to make up for your guilty, shameful past. You can't do it. You can't atone for your own sins. Come to me and I'll give you rest for your souls and set you free. 
So Jesus' call, come follow me, begins with come to me. We come to him before we can follow him. We receive grace at conversion, and we need that grace. I need the every hour like we sung. We need it every day. So we come to him to receive every day so that in the strength that he supplies, we can follow him. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So we come to receive, not just the first day, not just when we become Christians, okay, though we certainly need to do that. And if you haven't come to Jesus yet, you can come to him today and receive that grace and be forgiven and cleansed and set free and begin to follow Jesus. But if you are a Christian, I don't know if you've been, care if you've been a Christian for 75 years or longer, we need to come to Jesus every day for the grace to follow him. His grace fuels our following him. So we come to him. He gives us rest. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. We come to him learning of our need of him and finding that he alone can meet our deepest needs. And by his grace, we can follow. And every day is like that. We come to Jesus to receive his grace, learn from him how to trust and obey and follow him, all these variety of circumstances we face, and then we actually follow him in every sphere and relationship of life. At least that's our desire. So as we close here, I just want to encourage us to ask, not just rhetorically, but actually to make sure we have a plan and to follow up with this so that we are self-consciously operating as the disciples that we are to kind of close with these two questions. Maybe you want to put them on a note card, stick them on the mirror so you see them every morning or stick it in your car. How will I learn from Jesus today? We need a continuing education plan. And how do I follow Jesus today? Disciples are learners. Disciples are followers. So we need to proactively learn at the feet of Jesus and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So would you pray for yourself, for all of us, that through this series, Come Follow Me, that we would all listen attentively to the Lord Jesus and follow him wherever he leads so that we all head together in the right direction in 2019. Um, so as I mentioned last week and also uh, in the email this week to the church family, we're going to have a brief time of community discussion um, in just a minute, but we're going to sing a song that is a great song for disciples of Jesus. So we're going to sing this song as a response, um, hopefully echoing our heart to be uh, these kinds of disciples. And then we're going to have a little time for some questions or maybe testimonies of, you know what, I have seen this in the life of so-and-so because the more we see it, we can help each other um, follow in Jesus' footsteps, imitating others as they imitate and follow Christ. So let's pray. We'll sing the song, and then we'll have a little time of community discussion.
Lord Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the teacher. And we thank you that you are also the Savior. So we come to you for grace. We come to you for all of what we most deeply need. And we pray that you would teach us your ways and that you would strengthen us to follow you. For your great namesake, we pray. Amen.